Good morning. If you would, stand again and let's sing this song. Hopefully by the, hopefully by the end of, hopefully by the end of tomorrow morning, this song will, you, you will find out why I chose this song. Because what, <coughs> what I will begin to share this morning and hopefully finish to, 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 to tomorrow morning, if, if I can say there's one thing that I learned in my studies of Hebrew c- culture that impacted me the most, it is this. I'm, I'm going to be sharing on the rabbi-discipleship relation. How did that start? Where did it come from? And why did Jesus use that system? <coughs> and then where those 12 went to? Okay, uh, let's sing, sing this song. Far down the ages now, much of a journey done. The pilgrim church pursues her way until the crowd be this morning in the Hebrew. <coughs> Say these words after me. Shema Israel. Adonai Aleheinu. Adonai Achad. Ve'ahavta. Et Adonai. Eloecha. V'chol. Lavavcha. Uvechol. Nafshecha, Uvachol, Meodecha, Veyahavta, Reacha, Kamocha. Amen. Okay, let's do the English. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord the God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. And with all thy might. And thou shalt love the neighbor as thyself. Amen. You may be seated. 
Uh, if we could have, have the lights back, I won't be showing any more slides. <coughs> um, there was a rabbi who was walking home one night from spending the day with his group of, of, of disciples called Chavurim. Chavura is a single, single disciple. Chavurim is plural. And he was walking home, and he was heading south, and he was going toward his home, Capernaum, and he had, he had a, a moment of the day by himself. And in that single moment of, of not, not having his Havarim with him, he, he was doing what all rabbis do. He was quoting the scripture portion for that day. And he was quoting this. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he was so into quoting the scripture that he came to the fork in the road. The left fork leads to Capernaum and the right fork leads to the Roman fortress in that, in that area there. Romans and the Jews did not mix. And he was so consumed in this that he forgot where he was going. He, did, he, did, he didn't notice that he was not on that path. And he was walking along and he was meditating and the first thing that he heard was the Roman sentry, the, 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 the soldier on the wall keeping guard, hollered, Who are you? And what are you doing here? The Jew was startled. He didn't, didn't even see where he was at. He's never been there. And again the Roman hollered back, Who are you? And what are you doing here? And the rabbi asked him, What do you get paid for asking me those questions? Now it was the Roman's turn to be startled. He said, two drachmas a week, Jew. Why? And the Jew said, I'll pay you double if you stand at my door every morning and ask me those two questions. I don't know if that story is true. Probably is not. But I like that. I don't think there are two more important questions we can ask ourselves every single morning before we leave the home our home, is who am I, not your name, stripped bare, that everybody can see, who really are you, and what are you doing here? I don't mean here in, in Millbank. What's your purpose in life? What are you doing? And that Jewish rabbi recognized the impact of those two questions. So I want to ask you this morning, who are you, in all honesty, and what are you doing here? There was another rabbi who was walking from his home down to the sea to study with his Havarim. And he, he walked about a quarter mile, half a mile every morning to get down to the sea. Jews don't live around the, 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 the sea. There's some small towns, but the houses are all away. And he walked down, he was, he was walking down to the sea, and he, was, he, he passed a big boulder every morning, a big rock. They're all over there. But this specific rock. And one morning, he was walking down there, and as he passed this boulder, the voice from heaven spoke. God, I mean, now don't ask me if this story is true, it's probably not. But it's, it's Jewish stories. God spoke and said, Rabbi. Rabbi stopped, looked up, said, yes, Lord. He said, you see that big, big boulder? Yeah, I said, yeah, I pass it every morning. And the Lord told him, I want you to push and heave and push and heave on that boulder every single morning. Rabbi said, whatever you say, Lord. So from that morning on, the rabbi passed that boulder and he pushed and pushed and pushed. And 
Sweat started running, and he was heaving on that boulder till he was wore out, and then he, then he, he, he went on down to the sea. After about three weeks, the evil one sh- sh- showed up one morning. And the rabbi was pushing that boulder, and then he showed up and said, Rabbi, and he said, what? And he said, what do you think you're doing pushing this boulder? And he said, well, Yahweh, Jehovah told me to. And he said, yeah, but you haven't moved that stone an inch. It's still there. Rabbi looked at the rock and said, you know what, you're right. After that morning, he quit. After another week of not pushing the boulder, he was passing it again, and the Lord spoke. Rabbi. Rabbi said, yes, Lord. And he said, I have missed you. Why aren't you pushing this boulder? Rabbi said, but Lord, I haven't moved this boulder an inch. The Lord asked him, who said anything about moving the boulder? I said, push. Haven't you noticed that you are stronger than than you were? You can carry water a whole lot farther. You You can help the widows out a whole lot more. Pushing the boulder was for your good, not moving the rock. Then the rabbi discovered that obedience to the Lord does not always get me what I desire. Obedience to the Lord sometimes does not really make sense. We just have to go in faith, and that's what God wants. God said nothing to the rabbi about moving it. He said, just push on it. And he knew that the rabbi would become a useful servant in his kingdom if he's obedient. And the evil one came and said, you're not moving it. And the Lord said nothing about moving it. That's what I want to speak on this morning and tomorrow morning. The rabbi discipleship. Obedience. Now, as, as I said, all week long, I was excited for this morning. I mean, I was excited for the other mornings too, but this has changed my life in how I read Scripture and in understanding what Jesus meant in Matthew 28 when He said, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go ye. I never understood the impact. I understood what it said, what it meant. But I never understood the depth of that verse. I want to start this morning with rabbis. How do you become a rabbi? Let me give you a little history background first. Starting the same place I did yesterday, yesterday morning, 586. In 586 B.C., the, the Jews were... A, a, exiled, and they returned under Ezra and Nehemiah. And some stayed there in Babylon. Some came back, and some stayed. Because they said, life here is great. We're free now, and we can actually serve our God exactly the way the law says here. So why don't we just stay here? And some of them stayed. In 167 B.C., Judas Maccabees rose up. And conquered the, the, the land. And Galilee, the, northern, the, 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 the exiled Jews came back and they settled in Judah. Judas Maccabees rose up and conquered Israel. And the north was relatively, uh, there were not many fo- fo- folks there. It was, so the ones in the remnant of the Jews that stayed in Babylon that didn't come back found out about this that the northern part of Israel is empty. They said, why don't we return? Why don't we return and settle there? Now, that was about 300 years after the first Jews came back. Okay, the, the Jews came back to Judah. 300, about approximately, I mean, don't hold me exactly to the date, but generally in that area is when the others came, came, came back and settled to the north. Now, Jews are Jews. Now, people, in my mind, I always thought that all Jews hated, hated him. Well, 
the northern tribe of Jews that came back 300 years after the others did were not the same kind of Jew as the ones who came back from the exile. I mean, they come from the same, but they, but they, were, they changed over the years so, so much that they became actually two distinct groups. Now, Jesus did not come and live in Judah. He came and lived in Galilee. Now, they established something. The Galilean Jews and the Judean Jews despised each other. Now, they had the same, the same Torah. They had the same law. But they were not the same Jew. Jesus had 12 disciples. Eleven of them Galilean and one Judean. Who is the Judean disciple? Anybody know? Judas Iscariot. There we see that Judean and Galilean con con conflict. Now, there. Rabbi discipleship started in, in, in Babylon after the Judean Jews came back. Synagogue, rabbi discipleship, and one more thing that I will speak on called in, insula. Those four started in Babylon after the first Jews left. So the Galilean Jews came back, settled in Galilee, and started that. And that's why I believe Jesus came to the Galilean Jews. Because that system was a perfect foundation to establish the kingdom. It worked perfect. Okay? Now, <clears throat> there are two kinds of rabbis. The first rabbi that I want to, to talk about this morning is there are two levels. The first level, they call them teachers of the law. King James a lot of times calls them scribes. But if you look at that word in any other translation, it says teachers of the law. They would always teach like this. It is written, then they would quote. You've heard it said, and then they would quote. They had no authority to interpret new teaching. They had to teach what their group thought was the acceptable, scriptural way of teaching. They could not int interpret new, new teaching. That was... They had, a, they had followers that were called students. They wanted to know what their teacher knew. There was another rabbi, another, another level, that was far greater. This is, this authority that this rabbi had was called smicha in Hebrew. Now, I would just call it, well, I'll call it both, smicha and, and authority. They could teach, you've heard it said, it is written, but I say unto you, then they change it. They had that authority. And it was, only, it was very far and few in between that those rabbis show, showed up. But there were some. Shammai was one. Hillel was one. And then there, there's more. The Bible says John the Baptist, well I shouldn't say the Bible says, Jewish history says, and I really feel he did, John the Baptist had smicha. He was a rabbi, they called him rabbi, he had disciples. And he came with a new teaching. Now, how do you get authority? Actually the Bible says that the Pharisees looked at him and said, looked at Jesus and said, Whoa, what kind of man is this? And he taught them as one having authority and not as their 
scribes, which is Torah teachers, teachers of the law. So the Pharisees recognize this man has authority. So they ask him a question, and they said, where did you get this authority to teach this? I mean, where did you, because you got to get it from someone, where, where did you get it? So let me ask you one thing. John the Baptist, where did he get his? So Jesus clearly states there that John the Baptist has it. Where, where did John the Baptist get his? And they say, well, if we answer that he wasn't one, the crowd is going to mob us. And if we're going to say that he had it, Jesus is going to say, why didn't you listen? So they said, we don't know. He said, well, okay. But he made a statement. Jesus made a statement there. He just told them that he got his the same place as John the Baptist. They asked him, where did John the Baptist get his? And he said, well, uh, where did you get your authority? And Jesus said, where did John the Baptist get his? He was saying, I got the same place as John John the Baptist. Now, how how did this happen? When Moses was leading the children of Israel, Moses' father-in-law came to him and said, Moses, you are too busy. You have too much going on. Why don't you pick 12 men and split the groups up? I mean, they, they would, be, they would be back, come, come back to you with everything, but they could rule. So Moses said, okay. And Moses and Aaron laid their hands on those 12 and gave them authority to rule, to to not rule, but to take care of things. So the Jews said before a rabbi can have authority, he needs two people with authority to lay their hands on them and give it to them. Now, where did Jesus get his authority? Come come with me to the Jordan River. Jesus comes walking, and John looks up and sees him and says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus came into the river, and John laid his hands on him or baptized him and said, He must increase, I must decrease. That was... a So the Jews say that was one way John the Baptist gave his authority to Jesus. Right there. Then the heavens opened up and a Holy Spirit in form of a dove came down out of heaven said, and it lighted on him, hovered over him and said, this is my son whom I love. Hear ye him. Listen to him, or however, however it says that. Now, if you have any Jewish friends, and if you show them this, that the Messiah, we claim, what well, we know is the true one, got his smicha directly from God, he's going to struggle. Because that's the only rabbi in history that ever got his authority directly from God. And the Jews recognized it. So they asked Jesus, where did you get yours? And Jesus said, well, same place as John the Baptist. Now, don't ask me how John, John the Baptist got his. I never. But John the Baptist gave his authority to Jesus, and God gave his authority. So Jesus had the authority to become a rabbi to interpret new teachings. Now, I'm bringing this out. Jesus was God. I believe that fully, and I know that fully. But I'm, t- I'm bringing you out, this out. Jesus was a human, as me and you. And he was following a system. Okay? He was following the Jewish system here. Now, <coughs> rabbis with smicha, authority, have disciples. Teachers of the law have students. Now, what's the difference? A student wants to know what his rabbi knows. A disciple, more than anything else in his whole life, wants to be what his rabbi is. I'll say that again. A student wants to know what his rabbi knows. 
A disciple wants to be what his rabbi is. Big difference. <clears throat> now, did Jesus have this authority? Well, by now you understand that I know, I, I, I feel, yes, very much. Because the Jews even recognized it. And a rabbi with smicha, by the way, a rabbi with authority had to know the entire Old Testament from Genesis 1 to Malachi by memory. I know of a rabbi right now in Israel. He knows the entire Tanakh, which is their, their Old Testament, by memory in three lang languages. That's their life. That's their, in that's their passion. That's they put their life into it. That's, the teacher that I studied with spent 14 and a half years in, the, in, the, uh, a Jewish, in a Jewish university. He was the only one out of 40 students that did not know the entire Old Testament by memory. And he was the only one who was not a Jew. He was the only Christian. And they would sit and argue for hours and never quote, never say anything but quote scripture. Why isn't it good to eat lizards? And they would quote, God has made everything and everything was good. Yeah, but then they would quote scripture. That and in the first 10 seconds, me and you would be out, out, out of the game. We wouldn't know scripture. They would, that's, and a Jew is one of the most <sighs> person you, I mean, they are so, and it, it, I mean, I'm not saying that they're always that for, 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 for the good. Some of them have a very, uh, have a heart to follow after God, but they are wrong. But some of them, I mean, they are, they have, they are, they are very passionate. And if, if they're not happy, you know it. And that's how they are, are, are and it's not, it's not bad. That's how they are. Like, if, if, if I would be, be teaching to a, a group of, of, of Jews here, they wouldn't sit there like you all, kind and nice and just... They would, if they wouldn't understand, they would, hey, hey, what do you mean? And I would say it. Now, I'm not doing something here that I usually do. That is, if you hear a new word that you never heard before in, in, in your life, you shout it out. Like, smicha. Well, you'd, you'd all shout that out because in a Jewish mind, unless you hear yourself say a word, you don't know it. So you say it. In Israel, when I was there, we were always shouting out words because we, it was, but that's how they are. They are so, I don't know why, why I got on that subject. <laughs> but Jesus, Jesus had the authority to teach new interpretation. Now, I want to take you to one of his teachings. And, and but the reason I said that they know the, the scripture by memory, Jesus was, oh, he was so wise in, in this. He would hint at scripture of him, you know, in, in, in the prophecies, he would just hint at him. And the Jews would immediately catch what he's doing, just like I showed you the first day, I think, the first day, when he said, at Isaiah 32, verse 1 and 2, that the followers of the Messiah will be like rivers of living water. Will be. And Jesus got up and said, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He didn't say he is the, the, the promised one, but the Jews all know he was proclaiming to prophesy Isaiah 32. That's how they taught. Now the verse that says, Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, I'm not going to diminish that verse in any way, shape, or form. That is one of the most powerful verse in Scripture that has helped me to come to, come to trust. Jesus bids us to come, but there's something else in that verse that we missed. Jesus was teaching this. Let's oh, oh, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, 29, and 30. It says, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, that labor and are heavy laden, and I, 
will give you rest. Somebody volunteer to stand and read Exodus 33:14, please. Exodus 33:14. Go ahead. Thank you. You may be seated. God was speaking here. And he told them, I will go with you. My presence shall be with you. And I will give you rest. Every other rabbi in history always taught, the Lord hath said, I will give you rest. Jesus shows up on the Sermon on the Mount and said, all ye that are heavy laden, come unto me, I will give you rest. And they said, oh, they said, whoa, he's proclaiming to be God. But he's not done, he's just starting. Okay, let's go back there. Um, Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30 says, then he says, take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Somebody volunteer to read Numbers 12, verse 3. And would you please stand? Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Each side of the house, don't matter. Trav. Numbers 12, verse 3. Moses was the meekest man upon the face of the whole earth. Nowhere did a rabbi ever, ever teach that he is meek. Because Moses was their example for meekness. Jesus came and said, I am meek and lowly of heart. What did he say? He's the second Moses. And I see his hearers going, Ben, did you hear that? Whoa! Go to, okay, the very next one. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Somebody read Jeremiah 6, chapter, uh, verse 16. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And also in verse 29 it says, Ye shall find rest for your souls. Jeremiah chapter 16, 6, verse 16. Go ahead. Maybe seated. He was saying, ask for the ways of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Ask for the ancient path. That's the path that leads to me. Ask for that path. Jesus comes and says, and if you follow that path, you shall find rest for your souls. And Jesus comes and says, if you follow me, you will find rest for your souls. What did he just say? He is the ancient path to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To this day, if you look up... Uh, the rabbis say that this teaching here, they don't believe Jesus is the promised one for some, but they say that that is the most brilliant teaching by a rabbi that they have found yet. But they say he's false, it wasn't true. But if he was true, if he would have, that was a brilliant, brilliant. He never said it, but in three places he mentions that he is, he is God. He is the second Moses, and he is the way back to Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. But he never said it. But he quote, and the Jews knew their scriptures so well. So Jesus had the authority to do that. Now, I want to go to the second part. Disciples. How do you become disciples? Let me start with Jewish 
a, a, a typical Jewish boy's life. They start to school when they're about the age of five. And as I uh, shared the fir- first day, Jew in school, they don't do uh, math like we do in, in, in numbers. They always have a, a biblical event. <coughs> so they just quote that. You know, spies, it was, it was ten spies, twelve tribes, and two, two tablets. So they always say tribes minus spies equals T- tablets. They never say 12 minus 10 equals 2. It, it's, they're learning history and they're learning math. They're, they're, it's, it's a brilliant way. They start to school at age 5 and the first level of school is called Beth Sefer. Now Beth Sefer is called a place of learning. Now they stay in that school until they're probably 12 years old. Then they come to the age where they they the second level of school starts, but not, not many, not all of them make it to the second level. Girls are finished there. At age 12, the girls are done. They go home, and as soon as they are able to have a baby physically, they get married. So by the age of 13, 14, 15, most of them are married. It helps us to understand the age of of, of Mother Mary. Now, some, I don't know what you do w- w- with that, but they, weren't, they were not married. They were not spoused. The second level of school is called Bet Midrash, place of explaining. Now, if you know the significant amount of the Torah, Genesis, well, the first five books, if you know a significant amount of that by memory, you don't have to know it all, but you have to know a lot of it. By age 12, you can go to the next, the next level of school. Now, at the age of 12, a Jewish boy if he knows the first five books by memory, not just a significant, but if he knows the first five books by memory, he may go along to his first pa- 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 Passover. Now, going along to his first Passover does not mean the first time he went. Going along, and then they go along ever since they were, well, it's a family thing. Going, with, going to the first Passover means he may now lay his hand on the family lamb as an adult, and asks for the sacrifice of the family. That's going to the first Passover. At age 12, and when, well, you you probably already are are going there, Jesus went to his first Passover at age 12. So, to me, that tells me Jesus, Jesus knew the significant, Jesus knew the first five books by memory. Now, you can say, well, he was God. He didn't have to study. Well, that's not scriptural. Bible says he learned obedience by suffering. I feel, and I, I, I would dare to say this, that it's a true a, a fact. Jesus laid aside his godness and said, I'm, going, I'm one of you. And he studied, and he studied, and he studied, and he studied, and he knew the first five books of Moses by memory by the age of 12. Now, the second level of school is from age 12 to 15. Okay? Age 12 to 15. By the time they're out of the second level of school, now this is a quote that I got from them, but I'm not sure is it that high. It may may, may be. The Jews say 9,999 out of 10,000 do not make the next level. It's called Beth Talmud, place of interpretation, where they, in, where they interpret what the law says. And, how, and this is the school, place of Beth Talmud is a school level that is a rabbi with authority 
with his chavurim. It's in that level. And it starts, most of them, at the age of 15. Now, how do you become... Well, okay, now, they don't, in that level of school, they don't study in a school structure. They go out and they walk. They walk. And that's why I, when I went, we never studied in the city. Well, I shouldn't say never. The last day we did finally because we had to. But we always studied out where it happened, in the sticks. Now, the Jews are known to walk, to teach. Where did Jesus ascend? Off of which mount? Mount of Olives. Where did Jesus teach Matthew 28? Go ye out and teach them everything I, I taught you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost. Where did he teach that? It's exactly what I always thought. But if that's what you think, you're all wrong. Read the scripture. Jesus, after the resurrection, said, Go to Galilee, to the mountain that I told you. See ya. And he left. And the that's 110 miles from Jerusalem. To the mountain that every rabbi has a specific place that he does the majority of his te teaching, a specific place. And I dare to say where Jesus taught most of his things was on the same mount where he taught Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Because where he lived and taught was only a, a... It wasn't bigger than a... Well, I don't know. Do you all know how, how, how big Holmes County is? But it's, it was not big. It was a small... Chorazin... Bethsaida, Capernaum, the cities where Jesus done most of his miracles. That's right out of text. I mean, that's paraphrased, but that's what the Bible says. So Jesus was in, and Jesus was in Jerusalem, and he said, "All right, go to the mountain in Galilee where I have told told you." So he left, and okay, and then they went all the way up 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 there, and Matthew chapter twenty eight, and he taught them, saying. Go ye out and teach them and you know, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And it was done. And then they went back to Jerusalem and Jesus ascended from Mount of Olives. They walked 220 miles to hear their rabbi teach something that I can say in 20 seconds. That's how they teach. They go to the extreme. I remember one time that it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The sun was straight overhead. And we had to walk three miles. And we were taught some, something that didn't take more than about five minutes. And we walked three miles back, back out. And it was 120 degrees that afternoon. And we walked back out. But I remember that so well, what he taught. Because of my pain going through it. And isn't that your experience in life? I mean, you're going through life and it's a pain. It hurts. But then you learn something and you will never forget that. I think that was Jesus' heart. You walk 220 miles. I'm going to teach you one, one thing, the most important thing that I taught you. Go now. Okay. Now, <clears throat> how do you become a a follower, a havurah, havurim. Well, this is the way a normal, uh, it, it happens in the normal setting. You would hear a rabbi teach, okay? And you would, you would stay in, in the background, sort of uh, around the edge of his crowd. And you would hear him teach, and you would listen, and you would try and do your best and, 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 and put in your part so he knows that you're zealous and you want, you want to follow God, and you're, you're so passionate, and you're, you're, you're hoping he notices. You know? you're, you're, you're trying to, and he don't even make eye contact. You're there for five days. You show up. You just fo follow them. 
Finally, on one day, he notices you and says, um, uh, can I help you with something? And he says, uh, yeah, may I follow you? And what he means by following is may I become exactly like you in your walk with God. Not may I know what you, may I know what you know, but may I become like you and your, I mean, not the same personalities, of course, but in your walk with God, that's the heartbeat of every disciple, is to become like the rabbi in the rabbi's walk with God. So he, so he asks, may I follow you? And he, by implying, asking that, he's implying, can I, do you think I can become like you in my walk with God? So he says, quote uh, Zephaniah, uh, how often does Amos quote Zephaniah? Third grade. So, okay, he quotes that. Then he says, how often does uh, Isaiah quote Habakkuk? Or Habakkuk quote Isaiah? So, and maybe it's ten times, and I know four. Then he put me some more, put, put me through more tests, and he always, he always goes to something. He wants to know what I know, how much I know of God's work. And then maybe there's ten of them, and I know seven or five, and that happens twice. Then, he, then he'll say, young man, you have a zeal for God. You have a burning passion deep within your heart. But you don't have what it takes. I'm sorry. Go home and be a godly, godly father. Marry a godly wife. Raise a godly fam fam family but you don't have what it takes to become my disciple. And the Jews say 9,999 out of 10,000 heard that. Did anybody ever come to Jesus and ask, may I follow you? Yes. Did he ever take them? Never. You know what? He did. This is the only rabbi in history that done this. Peter, come, follow me. James, you, fishing, come. Don't tell me that those children, those disciples... Didn't, and I, I heard somebody express that they were surprised that Peter and James dropped their nets. Or, uh, yeah, Peter and James, I think, dropped their nets. They, there's nothing in their life that they want more than to follow a rabbi. And what is it implying that they were fishing? Fishing is a degrading job. What is it implying that they were fishing? They either didn't think they had what it takes to become in a rabbi's school or they tried it and he said, uh-uh. One of those two. And Peter sees Jesus and he's like, this is the miracle working, the miracle working rabbi. And he works harder at his fishing nets. Trend. So he sees and he says, Peter. He, says, he knows my name. He says, Lech, Acharai. Come, follow me. And they dropped their nets and ran. And I sometimes wonder what happened with poor Zebedee. He stood there holding the nets, and there went his sons. <laughs> but that is the passion that every Jewish boy has. That is the passion to become exactly like the rabbi and the rabbi's walk with God. And here comes Jesus, the Son of God, and says, You that did not make it into anybody else's school, come be like me. Now, I don't know what you're going to do with that. You can tell me that you're going to walk out of here and say, I won't. But you cannot tell me that I cannot. Now, if there's anything that I learned in this setting, this is the most exciting thing that I learned. That Jesus went to the ones who could not make it. And he said, Lech, come. Achorai, follow me. Does that move you? It's totally countercultural. 
And if you don't think that's true, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, I'm paraphrasing, said, all right, I want you to go out and change the whole world. Yeah, okay, uh, usually we study until we're 30. Uh, we're about seven, uh, we got another 12 years. Yeah, we'll go. He said, I'm leaving tonight. What? You're leaving tonight? And he said, remember, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Don't tell me that those, rat, that those disciples didn't have a burning passion. Now, I understand they missed the point. At the ascension, they asked, Is it now, Lord, that you will restore Israel to us again? They said, See ya. They, they didn't get it right then, but they got it. And tomorrow morning, I want to take you to some places that Jesus took his disciples to prepare them for what they will face in Asia Minor. And you never imagined this. Now, I, when Jesus was walking on the water, the, 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 the disciples were in the boat, and it was stormy. Okay, it was stormy, and, and I know what a storm is on the ocean. I was in Canada fishing one time in Ontario and had a little old boat and here come a storm. And I honestly didn't know will I, will we make it or not? And I, and here comes Jesus and I tried to, in this storm, to picture him walking across these waves. I don't know how he walked. Did Jesus go up with the waves? But here come Jesus walking on the water and his disciples were in the boat I mean, scared as, as can be. And he said, ah, it's a ghost. And somebody said, no, no, that's Jesus. Peter says, Lord, if that is you, bid me come to thee. Now, tell me, why did Peter want to walk on the water? His rabbi was standing on the water. There is nothing that haunts them more than to see the rabbi do something they are not able. And Jesus said, Lech, come. So Peter, now remember, he's a Jew. He never swam a day in his life. They were, one time Jesus came to them and they were, they were fishing and he was in the water, but he wasn't swimming. Peter, I, I don't know how this happened, the storm, and, but he had his focus on his, on, on his rabbi. And the rabbi was standing there, and he got out on the water, and he, I don't know how he walked, but he got started to walk, walking out to his, to his rabbi, and he looked up, and he saw the waves, and he began to sink. Yeshua reached down his hand and brought him up and said, why didst thou doubt? Now this was put to us by a, Jew, a Jewish man. Who did Peter doubt? His rabbi was still standing there. Peter looked at the waves and saw the waves and he didn't believe he could do what his rabbi is doing. But if he would have kept his eyes on his rabbi... He could have done what his rabbi was doing. Jesus said, why did you doubt? Come. Come up. And now, that's where the story stops. But Jesus pulled him up, and I believe Peter was standing there. I don't know, did he turn around and walk back in the boat? But I want to ask you one thing. Where were the other eleven? We say Peter doubted. He did. The Bible says he did. The other eleven didn't have enough chutzpah in Hebrew passion to step out of the boat. They were still sitting there. If we follow a rabbi and a lord and a savior of the universe that walks on water, we have to step out of the boat. Don't make sense. It's, it defies nature, but I know it'll work. That's the intense of the, of the, of the havarim of Jesus. Wanted to, to become more than anything else as the rabbi. Now, 
this may rattle you, and I, it's fine if it does. I'm not here to push my, my, my point. I'm here to push what is likely the culture. I believe strongly that way. How old were the disciples of Jesus? See, that picture that we see, Jesus at the Last Supper, everybody around the table looks like his grandpa. Long-bearded men, Jesus looks like the youngest. That's totally counter-cultural. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 13, verse 33. And pretty soon I'm just going to stop and we're going to go on right here where I left off tomorrow morning. John chapter 13, verse 33. Little children, do you tell me that Jesus is calling 60, 50, 40-year-old men little children? He said, little children... Yet a little while am I with you. And he said the same thing after his resurrection, Peter, uh, after his crucifixion, Peter said, I go fishing. And the other said, all right, we'll go back to our same old thing. Jesus w- walks along the Sea of the Galilee and says, children, go home and look in the martyr's mirror. Now, I found some dates in there that totally backed me up, and I found some that totally knock the props out of this. <laughs> so I don't know what to do. But John, Apostle John, came back from the Isle of Patmos in the year 99 A.D. Revelation was written approximately 96. And it says he died a few years after 99, at the age of 80. Figured out. I don't know exact date. Jewish history puts John eight years old when Jesus said, come. Now, is there a reason why John was, the, was the, the disciple whom Jesus loved? He laid in the bosom on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper. At the cross, Jesus looked at John and said, Mary, thy mother, take care of her. She's your... M-. Now, I don't... I don't put John at eight and say that's what he was. But I put the disciples younger than what most of everybody else does. Peter was married. And you say, yeah, yeah, but but Peter was married. Well, there's a law in the Jewish, there's a law that says that that a temple tax was not to be paid by anybody else under the unless they are 20 years old and older. 20 years old and younger were able to go free. Jesus came in there one day, one afternoon, with his Havarim. And a Pharisee came to Peter and said, Hey, uh, uh, does, your, does your master pay t- t- temple tax? And Peter says, Hey, Jesus, do we pay temple tax? Jesus says, Yeah, go down to the creek and fish. So he goes down there and fishes, and he catches a fish. And it says, in the fish's mouth is a coin for my tax and your tax. What about the other 11? You can say he went back there and caught 11 more fish. He could have done that. I say they weren't 20 years old. And in every school of Havurim, there is an older, an older disciple. And I, and I seen that when I was there. I seen I don't know how many rabbis with their havarims while I was there, and there was always an older one there. He is the one that sort of, sort of uh, is between. He's a mouthpiece between the others and the rabbi. He taught something last night that they didn't understand, so he says, "Hey, rabbi, uh, these would you mind re- rephrasing that?" They never talk until the oldest one talks. That's there. They are very, very much in respect of your elders. They, the older you are, the better off you are. John D., you'd be in good, good, in good shape here. <laughs> you do everything. <clears throat> but no, that, that's how, how they do. So they never talk unless the oldest one talks first. We say impetuous Peter. Have you ever thought about the sons of thunder? Tell me that the... That, the, 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 the Thunder Brothers were laid back and quiet. 
Jesus calls them the sons of thunder. Now, they're, they're Jewish. It doesn't have anything like a laid-back Jew. I mean, that's an oxymoron. Like, like he would say, they are passionate. And their goal is to become exactly like their... And there's one more story that I, I want to do and then promise I'll quit. If you don't think Jesus calls the outcasts and the ones who didn't make it in anybody else's school, the ones who sit in the back, the ones who are slow, the ones who struggle with learning, and for me it comes easy, and for them it make, doesn't make sense, and they struggle, and they have homework, and they're behind two weeks, and they don't have the figure like other people do, and they can't, they can't play sports, and they can't run in marathons. It's those that my Lord says, come. You didn't make, come. You can be like me in your walk. Me and you have no right to be in the kingdom of God besides the grace of God and his love. It's the ones who didn't make it. Let me, add, let me take you to one place in Asia Minor. Paul goes to a town called Lystra. And there's nothing much left of that town, just a mound, a hill. Paul went into there, and he preached the gospel. Well, when he first came, him and Barnabas, they said, this is uh, a Zeus and, what was the other one? Mercury. And they said, no, no. They tore their clothes and said, don't worship us. We're humans. We are like you. We are the servants of the Lord. They started preaching. And the second time Paul came there, he started preaching. And they took him, bound his hands, took him. And now a, a Jewish stoning or stoning in the old days was not a bunch of guys winging rocks. They would push a guy, hands bound, over the edge of, uh, of the cliff. Most of them died from that fall. Whoever thought he was guilty took a big rock out of the edge and dropped it. And if he made it, it was God's will. If he didn't make it, it was God's will. But if he made it, he was judged and he was free. They take Paul to the edge of the town, Bible says, pushed him over a cliff, and stoned him. Paul got up, went back into town. Like, these guys are so excited about the gospel, I'm going to preach them some more. He goes back into town and preaches some more. On the third missionary tour there, Paul goes to the same town. And for some reason, he is looking for a disciple. And he stops there, and he, I don't know, this is my own imagination. He said, Rabbi, I, I, uh, I need somebody to follow me. Do you have anybody in mind? Well, there's Benjamin here. Uh, there is Judah. Uh, what about the little boy that always sits on the side, has it far away look in his eyes, Rabbi says, Paul, don't ask. He don't make it. His mother's name is Lois. His grandma's name is, is Eunice. She had an, an, an affair with a Greek man. And Paul, you know what the law says. Anybody who has a relationship with the Greek cannot enter into the Jewish system for the 10th generation. He's the first, Paul says. He walks over to him, says, Timothy, mm -hmm. come, follow me. According to the law, Timothy should have not made it, him or his children, into any Jewish setting to the 10th generation. He was a mumser, an outcast. 
He could not partake in any Jewish wedding, any Jewish funeral, any, any uh, Torah readings in the synagogue, any school. He was an outcast, but his mother and his grandma taught them the scriptures, taught him the scriptures. And Paul said, a mumser, outcast that knows the scripture, I want him. Paul is becoming like his rabbi, Jesus. And he says, you, come, follow me. And by the age of 17, Timothy was the bishop of a city four times worse than New York City. Of the church, a little house church in Ephesus. Immorality was unbelievable. I, tomorrow I will try and... But Timothy, at the age of 17... Now, I, I wouldn't say specifically 17. That's where history puts him. I don't care, is he 29? But he was younger. And Paul writes to him later, My dear son, to my own son. You can walk out of here and say, I, I will not do what my rabbi asked. But you can never say, I cannot. We will go on tomorrow morning right there.